Well, hello, everybody. How are we doing today? It's good to see you. Good to see you. Happy Memorial Day. And uh, we're just so glad that you're here. Let's give a great big victory welcome to all of our first-time guests. And for those who are joining us online, we're so glad that you're here today. We're so glad that you're here today. Let's take our Bibles out and let's open it up to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. While you're opening, there was a, a, a question the Lord put in my heart for you uh, during worship today. And that is, do you know that God is pleased with you? Here's, here's the way he asked it. I wonder if they know that I am pleased with them. So I ask you today, do you know that? This has nothing to do with my message, but this is, this is a, I really believe it's important because somebody needs to hear this today. Psalm 17, verse 8 tells us that we are the apple of God's eye. And somebody here needed to know that in your good days, God is pleased with you. In your bad days, God is pleased with you. In the moments your heart is hardened, God is pleased with you. In the moments your heart is soft, God is pleased. God loves us. And he wants us to walk in the fullness of that love. And he wants us to wake up every single day. That's why he says his mercies are new to us every single time the sun rises. And here's what my heart is for you today. I hope you feel the Lord smiling on you today. I hope you feel him smiling on you today because if your heart is hardened and you can feel the Lord smiling, it will soften you. If you are soft, it will soften you more. If you are lost, it will anchor you. If you are confused, it will calm you. Knowing the pleasure of God and that God finds pleasure in you will do so much to our heart. And every single day, I hope you wake up and know that the love of God is so strong towards you that he will chase you down. He'll lift you up. He will pick you up, heal you up, set you back up on your feet to glorify his name. Amen. So here's what I want us to do today. If that applies to anybody in here, I just want you to put your hands out like this or up like this, however you want to respond to it. But we need to respond. And I just want to pray for us as we go into this message. Father, thank you. Father, I thank you that your word promises us that you never leave us, you never forsake us, no matter what's going on in us or around us. God, you will not turn away from us. Lord, when we are faithless, you are faithful. When we are weak, you are strong. Lord, we thank you that you take pleasure in your creation and in your created ones in which you created in your image. Father, today, let us know that, not in our head, but let us know that in our heart. And Father, today, I pray that out of that knowing, we will relax, we will rest, we will allow you to calm, to soothe, to heal, to embolden, to strengthen our hearts. Today, Lord, would you allow your word to go deep inside of us, take root in us, and to grow to full maturity in us, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, it is so good to be with you. It's been a few weeks since I've been able to be up here with you guys, and so I've missed you. Even though I see us in the hallways, it's still good to be up here with you today. Uh, we're about to start a new series called Fences, and fences are something that God puts in our lives for our protection and for our good. Uh, it's a governance in our heart and in our lives, and uh, a few years ago, Sherry and I got the opportunity to see the sequoia trees in Northern California. Anybody ever seen those trees before? They're beautiful, they're huge, they're very, very, very large. 
But there was a season when those trees began to, uh, they, they noticed one day they show up and one of the trees had fallen, which was very odd. And then they found another one a little bit later that had fallen. And it wasn't like some big storm came through and blew them over, but it, they just started falling over. And they, the park um, rangers and the people that are uh, responsible for taking care of them began to wonder, why are these big trees falling like this? Why are these big trees falling like this? In fact, uh, that is, I think that's Pastor Johnson in summer right there, right at the base of one of those that has fallen. That tells you the size of just the roots that broke off right at the ground of these trees. So they began to explore why are these trees falling over. And what they found was that the root system of these huge trees that stand hundreds of feet tall literally have a very shallow root system. The roots only go about five or six feet deep. And for a tree that tall, that's not very deep. And so, uh, but their, their roots go deep and wide. And they begin to intertwine with the root systems of the other trees around them. And sometimes they fuse together and create one big root. And so these trees are interlocked together in their root system. And they, they can support these massive, massive trees. But what they found was that the roots were very... Uh, vulnerable, very um, vulnerable to people walking on them. And so what they, they had no boundaries around the trees, and so people could walk right up to the trees. And over time, as people would come and visit the forest and, and look at the trees, and they would take their pictures and walk up close to the tree so that you could see the size of the tree, it began to damage the root system. And because of the roots were damaged, the trees were falling over. And so what they figured out was if we put a fence around the tree a far enough back, 20 or 30 feet away from the tree that allows people to walk up to it but not walk right up to it, uh, it, it actually protects the root system of the tree and the trees can stand. And when they figured this out, they carefully pathwayed every, all the paths through the trees and created all these boundaries around these trees so that people could come and enjoy the trees without damaging them. And so they put these fences around them to, to help protect them. One of the things that we see uh, in this one is uh, General Sherman. It's the largest tree in the U.S. or maybe even in the world. And General Sherman stands 275 feet tall. It's 103 feet in uh, circumference around the tree, and it's 2,200 years old. That's that tree right there that you're looking at. That's the largest tree in our country, maybe even in the world. And so they want to protect. You wouldn't think a tree that big or that large would be vulnerable to the footsteps of a human. But they are. And so when they created these fences, they created them to help sustain the life of the tree. And when God creates fences in our lives, he creates fences not to keep stuff, keep us from being able to enjoy the fullness of life. He creates fences so that the, the parts of our life that uh, are important to us don't get damaged and parts of us die. And so when you look at these fences in our lives, they're for our protection. And what they're protecting is the life source of our life. The things that sustain life. The things that are sacred to us. The things that are vulnerable or valuable to us and the things that are holy. There are three things that God calls holy. Time, man, and space. Time is what he calls holy as it relates to the Sabbath rest. It's a fence of time for us. Man is what he, when uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he told them to tell the people to be holy, for I am holy. So it was the fence against sin in our life. And then space. This was the tabernacle. This was a holy place where the priest would come into this space, and it was a very holy space. And they had to go through all these rituals to get into this one little space to meet with God, to commune with God, to talk with God. This was the fence of guarding some space and margin in our hearts and in our lives. And here's what we believe. We believe that God has placed inside of us his greatness. As we've talked about this series, Emancipating Greatness, we've been talking about it all year long. We're not talking about our greatness. We're talking about his greatness inside of us. 
The Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter 2 that we were created in his image and in his likeness we were created. We carry and bear the image of God. And that's where the greatness comes from our heart and from our lives. It's not from our, the skills of our hands or the, the, how gifted we are or how good we are. It comes from this place of creation, the way God originally intended for us to live our lives, which was connected to him as our source and to reflect not our greatness, but his greatness. And what he wants and what we want is to see the greatness that's on the inside of each one of us be expressed on the outside of us. Amen? And so that's what we've been focusing on this year. Here's what we know. This has been a year where we're focusing on health because this is what we know in our hearts. We know that a seed reproduces after its own kind. We're always reproducing. We're either reproducing healthy things or we're reproducing unhealthy things in our lives. And so what our heart has been is for this year to be a year of health. Let's get our hearts healthy. So that when we go in and we begin to expand as a church under our new senior pastor, under Johnson and Summer Bowie, that the vision that God has given them, that we're not just expanding in numbers, but we're expanding from a healthy place in our heart and our lives, and we're reproducing health wherever we go. So that's what our passion has been. That's what our heart has been, and that's been the motivation. But one of the fences, the holy places God has placed around our lives is this fence of rest. It's a place where we rest. And uh, how many of you would say today, I am tired? Raise your hand. How many of you say today, I need to rest? I have some friends that are pastors, and every time I see them, I say, how are you doing? The very first thing they say to me is, man, I am tired. I'm tired. When I look out across our nation right now, all the things that we've been going through as a nation, I look into the eyes of people and you know what I see in them? They are tired. They're tired. They're weary. They're tired inside. They're tired deep, deep down inside into our soul. But God has a way of restoring us and refreshing us. And it's a way that we have to learn to walk in and a way that we have to honor. And that is this thing called a Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 2, it's the first time that the Lord uses the word holy. And watch what he calls holy. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, he says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it what? Made it holy because on it, God rested from his work that he had done in creation. God called his seventh day holy and he rested. He stopped working. He ceased from work. It means the word uh, stop working there literally means to desist or to stop. We're going to stop. We're going to cease our work. And in our country today, this is a hard thing for us to do is to stop. We're known for our ambition. We're known for our drive. We're known for pushing through and pushing forward and driving forward. But that's not God's way for us. Other parts of the world do things like siestas. Sherry and I had a chance to go to Europe uh, and spend some time with some friends of ours in the Netherlands. And as we would walk around, we would stop periodically throughout the day. It wasn't just a day. It was throughout the day we would stop and have a cup of coffee. And they give you these little cups of coffee like this. And they, they got some punch to them, some kick to them. And they also would include a cookie with it. So we'd stop and drink coffee and relate to one another and eat our cookies. And, but we would slow down. It would slow us down, and as we're going, we're feeling, this, we're feeling our hearts start to slow down. Why? Because we were in a culture that was a very hardworking culture. The Europeans are very hardworking. But we were a part of this culture that would take moments throughout the day to just stop and slow down. But what we see here in Genesis is that God literally placed a blessing on this day. On this day that we now call the Sabbath. God literally blessed it. And said it's holy. 
When you think about something that's holy, how do you treat it? How do we treat something that we go, that's holy? And I need to treat that with reverence, with respect, with honor. And so we treat, what God is saying here is, when you treat that seventh day with respect and honor, there's a blessing that's attached to it that's not attached when we don't. It's the first time God ever said the word holy, was talking to a day. He didn't talk about man that way. He didn't talk about his creation that way. He didn't talk about all the powerful works that he had just done. When he rested on the seventh day, that is holy. So when you are resting and you're taking your day off, your Sabbath day, and your Sabbath rest, you're actually entering into something that is holy. And the Lord wants us to carry that with weight, with honor in our lives and make space for it. The first time we ever see Sabbath mentioned was before he um, ever gave it as a law in the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments. And it's in Exodus 16. Did I tell you guys to turn to Exodus 16? Open your Bibles and turn to Exodus 16. I'm sorry. Um, Exodus 16. And what we find here in Exodus 16 is he's speaking to the children of Israel who were out in the wilderness, who when they went out, he basically provided their needs. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. He rained food down from heaven. He provided for them in every single way, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. He provided for them in every way. He met them in very special ways. But he had his way of going about it. And every day, he would, he would, they would wake up and there would be this dew-like consistency across the ground. It looked like dew on the ground, but actually it was called manna. And they were to gather their manna for the day. And, and take it in. That's what they would make their bread out of. That's how they would make their food. This was God providing for them in a very supernatural way. And so here they are every day. But what, what they learned uh, early on was when they first started, they would gather enough manna for a few days. Because what they didn't know was, is this going to be here tomorrow? They didn't understand that at the very beginning. And so they would gather more than the day's uh, supply of manna, and they would store it up. And then when they would wake up in the morning, their manna would be rotten, it would stink, and it would be filled with worms. What the Lord said through that action was, I'm your provider, and I want you to trust me every single day to provide for you. Don't try to store it up for yourself. That's why it tells us about storing up wealth. Don't, don't try to store it up where moth and rust corrupt. Don't try to store it up. Trust God. So this is where we find them in Deuteronomy 16. This is kind of the setting that we find them in. Verse 22, it says, And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then Moses said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to, keep, to be kept until morning. So he's telling them, now store it up on the sixth day for tomorrow. So they laid it up. In the, uh, laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will, you will not find it in the field. In other words, he's saying on the Sabbath day, he did not provide manna for them. There wasn't manna out there for them. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that, the same, that, that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. So the seventh day, uh, they did what many of us do. They said, you know what? I'm just going to go get a little more. I'm going to go get a little bit more. And when they went out, there was nothing to get. God doesn't bless that. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Here's the thing. This was not a commandment and it was not a law yet. What the Lord is saying basically in that moment is, how long will you stop? How long will you continue to neglect my ways? How long are you going to neglect the way of life that I've laid out for you? 
How long are you going to do that? And then he says in verse 29, See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The Lord has provided enough for us in six days so that we can rest on one day. And what he's saying is, I can accomplish more in you and through you on six days than you can on seven, using seven days. It's the same principle as the tithe. I can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. It's a way of living. It's a way of surrendering. It's a way of walking in faith and trust in God, our provider. He is our provider. He's the one that provides for us. But in our country, we have a tendency to drive, 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 drive. And we reward it. We praise it. We honor it. We exalt it. Why? Why? Why do we do this? There's something inside of us that pushes us forward. We have voices on the exterior. Sherry pointed it out a couple of weeks ago on Mother's Day. We have magazines telling us how we need to look. We have magazines and Instagram stories telling us how to plump our lips and fluff our lashes and how to build our biceps and how to do all this stuff. Better, 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 stronger, 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 more, 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 more. Kind of reminds me of the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. We're talking about them here, but... There was a point where they got tired of eating this manna. They wanted meat. They wanted meat. So here's, the, here's even what they said. You know what, Moses? We were better off when we were in captivity, when we were slaves to the Egyptians. We were better. Why? At least we had pots of meat. At least we could sit around and eat meat. Why can't God just give us some meat? Wah, wah, wah. And so God leans down to Moses in Psalm 106, and he goes, tell the people I've heard their whining. Tell the people I've heard their complaints, and I'll give them their meat. There was meat laying all over the ground. But he said, also tell them. I will sin with it. Leanness of soul. Can I tell you something? You don't want God to answer all your prayers. Because sometimes we're not praying for the right thing. And he may grant us the, the answer to our prayer. He granted Israel a a king. His name was Saul. He granted the children of Israel meat and with it leanness of soul. He'd answered their prayer. He heard their complaint. He heard their cries. He answered it. Kind of reminds me of today. We're better when we have more. So therefore, because I need more, I work more. I need a bigger house, a nicer car. I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. And then we look around with all of our stuff and we say, we are blessed. Maybe. But we may have blessing, but our hearts, our souls are empty. I see more empty rich people than I see full rich people. And what I mean by rich, I don't mean the six-figure, seven-figure people. I'm talking about all of us in here. By every measurement around the world, we are the richest people. But we have anxiety, depression. We have all these things. Yes, we have the blessings, but we have leanness of soul. Why? Because oftentimes we don't 
walk according to God's ways. Many of us, we get up, the first thing we do is we start responding to emails that came in through the night. We start responding to these emails and then we do it all day long. We, we, we go to work and we email and we come back home and we eat and we sit in our bed right before we go to bed and, and we finish up our emails and then we go to sleep and we wake up and do it all over again. There is nothing about that that's, that speaks blessing. Anybody say, man, I'm blessed to respond to emails. We're like, Lord Jesus, please shut this thing up. At least when, when, when I was growing up, we didn't have cell phones. I just dated myself. We didn't even have car phones. We had telephones that actually were connected to the wall of our house. And you were not accessible to people all the time. We're accessible to people all the time now. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every moment, every minute, anybody can text and, and they can drop into our lives. At least before you had to be at home to receive and, and talk to someone on the phone. You had to be. I, I remember when the, the car phone, the brick came out. My mom got one. My dad bought it for her. He thought she would want it because she was a salesman and she traveled a lot. That, she never used it. But we had the brick. Now we have this smartphone. But it makes us dumb. It dumbs us down from the inside out. You're having dinner with your family. Bzz, bzz. One night we're having dinner and my phone goes, bzz, bzz, and sitting on the table. Sherry's got a knife in her hand. She said, grab it. <laughs> Go ahead. Don't let that sweet smile fool you. She looked at me and she said, I will cut you. Happens all the time. Happens to me, it happens to you, it happens to all of us. Why? Because we have these smartphones. We're accessible. There's no boundary to us. Can I just say, there's nothing wrong with a smartphone in and of itself. But it does remove the boundaries in our life. One of the people that we know that or one of the companies that we know that honored the Sabbath is one we love very much, Chick-fil-A. We're mad at them every Sunday afternoon. <laughs> We're like, oh man, that's so awesome until we want chicken nuggets. <laughs> We're like, what? They're one of the highest grossing fast food chains in, the, in our country. Why? Because Truett Cathy said, from the very beginning, we will honor the Sabbath. I will trust the Lord. He didn't just say it with his mouth. He did it. And he said, I want every person that works for my company to be able to take the Sabbath. I want them to have time with their families. I want them to be able to recharge. I want them to be able to connect with God and fill their heart up. They'll be better workers. They'll have better marriages. They'll have better children. They will have a better quality of life working six days instead of seven. So what do we need to know about the Sabbath? The first thing we need to know about the Sabbath is it's a command. It's holy. It's blessed. And it is a command from God. In Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to start with verse 2, and I just want you to remember one statement in here. We're going to get to it in just a moment. In Exodus chapter 20, it says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, in the, to the land, uh, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I want you to remember that statement. Out of the house of bondage. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Okay, then he goes on. And this is where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God gives him the Ten Commandments right here. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it. Keep it holy. This is when he's talking about the Sabbath. 
He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's the first time he ever called something holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord God, of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Say, no work. Let me put it together. Let me put it in modern day terms. In it you shall not respond to emails, make phone calls, follow up with anyone about anything. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servants, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, not even your animals, your livestock can work, nor your stranger or who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in it, all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. He called it holy. He set it apart. He said it's a special day. Something that he honors and that he keeps. But here's the thing that's interesting about this one commandment. It's the fourth commandment of ten. And when we go down this list of commandments, this is where God spent the most time explaining this commandment. When you read all of them, you'll see that he spends the most time talking about the Sabbath. Why would he do that? Because I think he knew this is the one that we are most likely to disobey. Why? Why are we most likely to disobey this one? We know murder is wrong. We know adultery is wrong. We know that lying is wrong. We know that stealing is wrong. We know that worshiping idols is wrong. We know those things. They're clear. They're black and white. There's no, no question about them. But when it comes to this, we go, eh. Eh. It's no big deal. Nobody knows. It doesn't hurt anybody. Yes, it does. Hurts your marriage. Hurts your children. Hurts you. Hurts you. It breaks you. Why? Because you start to die from the inside out. You literally start dying. Why? Because there's no life on the seventh when we're working on it. There's no life when we're violating the Sabbath. There's a driving that's inside of us. There's all kinds of things that drive us. Fear can drive us. We're afraid that if I don't perform enough that I'll lose my job. Or There's things inside of us that would drive and drive and drive us. And I want to say this. God never drives. He draws. He never drives. He draws. He draws us to himself. He draws us to his ways. And when we honor his ways... There is blessing, true blessing. And when we honor his ways, it's not blessing, the, the appearance of blessing with leanness of soul. It is true blessing with richness of soul. He stirs us. He renews us. He refreshes us. He strengthens us. He gives us clarity. He gives us insight. He gives us peace. Sometimes I get asked, what, what do you do on the Sabbath? What do you do on the Sabbath? These are oftentimes real rule keepers. Here's, that's not the real question. The question is not what do we do on the Sabbath. The question is what do we not do? And what did he say? You shall do no work. No work. Take the day off. If you were to walk in and your boss came up and he had a big smile on his face or she had a big smile on her face and she comes walking up and she says, you know what? You're doing such a great job today. I want you to take the day off. What would you do? Do what a lot of us do. We leave the office, but we continue our work. Can't even receive this. Sometimes it's such a difficult thing for us to receive. You see, we don't keep the commandments to be saved. We keep them to be blessed. We keep the commandments of God to be blessed. There are consequences when we don't honor the Sabbath, and there are blessings when we do. So here's a few questions that can reveal how you view the Sabbath. The first one is, do I honor the Sabbath? Do I take the day off? Do you literally take the day off? Do I take time to recharge and abide with God, to abide with Christ? 
Do I really take time to be able to sit still in the presence of God and allow him to fill me? Would those around me say I am not hurried or rushed? And do I struggle to be present? When you're struggling to be present, you are not rested in your heart. This is a command not to withhold something from us, but to give us something. To give us a pace, a governance of life that is sustaining, that is life-giving, that is full. And God wants us to have that type of life. You see, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 20 was when he got the word from heaven, what the Ten Commandments were. But you remember what I said in verse 2 where he says, Who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage? I want you to remember the end of, um, in verse 11, when he was talking about the commandments in in, uh, 20 verse 11, and he was giving him the commandments. And then the Lord began to talk about, he created the heavens and the earth. He created, uh, what all did he create? He created the seas and all that's in them. (laughs) He created, he he was focused on his creation. Now come fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter Five. This is Moses talking to the children of Israel. And he's coming to remind them of the Ten Commandments. We'll see it in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. He says all the same things. I'm just going to read verse 15. But he says all the same things. He created all this. He does all this. He worked and then he rested. He tells all of them to tell your male servants, your female servants, your sons, your daughters, all the people with you to rest on the seventh. And then on the, on the verse 15, he says this. This is where it changes for us. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. There was these two moments where we can really see the heart of God. We can see God's heart being poured out. In Exodus chapter 20, when he pours out the Ten Commandments, and we see it again as he's reminding the children of Israel, we see the heart of God being poured out. We see them after they've complained. We see them after they've gone through these things, and Moses stands back up, and he speaks to them about this one day, but he's drawing a different perspective from the time that he got it from God to the time that he's reminding the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 20, the Sabbath was grounded in creation. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Sabbath is grounded in liberation. I have brought you out of the land of Egypt. You are no longer a slave to your work. In Exodus 20, he says, remember Eden. In Deuteronomy 5, he's saying, remember Egypt, the bondage, the slavery that you were in. In Exodus 20, he says, Imitating divine example, imitate me and receive divine blessing. In Deuteronomy 5, he says, take hold of divine deliverance. Observe his divine command. In Exodus 20, he goes, look up. In Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy 5, he says, look back. Look what God's delivered you from. In Exodus 20, it's evoking the character, the heart, the desire of God. In Deuteronomy 5, it's evoking the Redemption of God. I brought you out with my hand and with my arm. Don't ever look back to this moment of bondage and slavery and think you were better off there. In Exodus 20, he calls us to holy mimicry. Be like me. I rested on the seventh day. You rest on the seventh day. And in Deuteronomy 5, he says... He calls us to holy defiance, never to be slaves again. In Exodus 20, he says, you are my children. In Deuteronomy 5, he says, you are no one's chattel. You are no one's slave. When we honor the Sabbath, that's what we're taking in. I am a child of God. I am not a slave to anyone. I am not a slave. In Exodus 20, it was an invitation to freedom. In Deuteronomy 5, it was a warning against returning to bondage. Don't go back. Go forward. We mimic God 
to remember that we are not God. We do what God did because we are not God. We actually say, we're gonna follow your way, God. We're gonna take the rest that you've given us, the thing that you've called holy, the thing that you've blessed. We're gonna take those things and we're gonna implement them into our lives and we're gonna trust you that you will do more in six days than I could do in seven. Because I am not God. You are God. I will follow your ways. The Sabbath is basically this, imitating God so that we stop trying to be God. Here's what we know. Slaves don't rest. Slaves can't rest. Slaves, by definition, have no freedom to rest. And I love this quote by Mark Buchanan. He wrote the book called The Rest of God. And I would encourage if you're looking for a good book on Sabbath and Sabbath rest, this is one of the best I've ever seen. He says this, rest, it turns out, is a condition of liberty. God calls us to live in the freedom that he won for us with his outstretched arm. Sabbath is a refusal to return to Egypt. And when we sit down and we are allowing our hearts to rest and our souls to rest, we're saying, I'm a child of God. And my father provides everything I have need of. I have nothing to fear, nothing to worry. Today I will rest. Not just sit my body down, but allow my heart to rest. Sabbath is a command, but Sabbath is also a goal. I mean a gift. Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift from God. In Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, it says, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. He's talking about Jesus. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why do you do what's not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he, needed, when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how, how he went into the house of God in the days of hard name, the high priest, and ate the showbread. He went in where nobody was supposed to eat the showbread except the priest. They were the only ones. And he would go in and eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest. And also gave some to those who were with him. In other words, he's going, I'm not supposed to really eat this, but I'm going to eat it right now. And here, y'all have some too. Let's eat up, guys. We have need of it. Let's eat up. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And here's what he's saying. The Sabbath isn't a thing of, of um, legalism. It's not a box for us to check. It's a way for us to live. He's saying this is a way that we live. This is a way that we express life. This is the way we receive life. Man wasn't made to serve the Sabbath. Sabbath was given to man as a gift, as a way of serving man and mankind. God made the Sabbath as a blessing, not a burden. It's a blessing. It's a gift. It's a blessing to us. The question is, are you taking advantage of this blessing that's provided to us by God? Many people don't. But let me read this to you. As people, this is my wife. She gave me this statement. This is a powerful statement. It says, as people, we are created in the image of God, and we are to bear that image in our lives. We have also been given his ways to walk in. When we disconnect from God's ways, we disconnect from his image. When we don't honor the Sabbath, we are slowly disconnecting from God. And here's the thing. Every Sabbath you, know, you don't honor, part of you dies. Part of you dies every single time. A few weeks ago, Sherry and I were at a very notable church. A lot of our friends are on staff there. If I was to name it, probably many of you would know it. But we were sitting there and one of the pastors was up speaking. Sherry leaned over to me and she said, He's got those dead eyes. 
And I was looking at him and I went, hmm, he does. And in saying that, there was no judgment coming from us. There was a lot of compassion. Because you know what? You know how I could recognize his dead eyes? Because I've had dead eyes. The Bible tells us that our eyes are the gateway to the soul. doesn't matter what have happened on the outside, what a man's saying, what he's doing, how he's smiling, all those things. You look at somebody's eyes, you can see into their soul. And I was watching this guy, and my heart went out because I know what that feels like. I know the desperation in your heart when you've blown by a lot of Sabbath days. And they've come to bear on your soul. I know what that looks like. I see it in some of your eyes sometimes. I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. Because I literally, years ago, I used to sit in my bathroom like this and put my elbows on the countertop and I would pull my eyes down like this. And I would just stare in my own eyes. You know what I was looking for? I was looking for me. I was looking for life. I was looking for peace. And you know what looked back at me? Death. That's a hard place to live. The enemy will let you have all the success you want if he can kill you from the inside out. He'll give you everything you want. God wants you to have life and life abundantly. He wants you to be able to look in your eyes in a mirror and see the life of God. He wants us to be able to look in each other's eyes and see the image of God. He wants us to be able to look and see the life of God. And the way he gives it and the way he preserves it is through Sabbath. Why is it so hard for us to honor it? When we get right down to it, this is hard, hard, hard. When we get right down to it, we just don't trust God. We don't believe his ways are good. We don't believe that he will do more with our six days than we can in our seven. We really don't believe that if I'm going to be successful, I can actually rest on my way to success. I have some friends that are, my, my, my colleagues are all pastors. And sometimes when I look at them, and I go, hey man, how you doing? When it's just us, they look at me and they'll go, man, I'm tired. You know what I know? They've blown by the Sabbaths. I know they do. And every one, it's a drop of death. It's like an IV, and it drops. And every drop kills from the inside out. No one is immune to it. No one. God never drives us. He draws us. He doesn't draw us to success. He draws us to himself. Come, to, come be with me and you'll have true success. You'll have the same kind of success that will span the world and be a blessing in every 
culture, not just yours. So how do we Sabbath? One is we have to schedule it. Schedule it. Put it on your calendar. If it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist in my mind. Literally. I get up every day. And once I've gone through my quiet time, I open my calendar. And I'm like... Sometimes I got to meet with some people. I'm like, mm, let me go back into my quiet time, Lord. Jesus, please. But we have to schedule it. We have to figure out what refreshes us. For me, I love to do nothing. <laughs> What's your hobby? Nothing. I got a beautiful red-headed wife, and I just seen her sit right there in front of me, and I just look at her. Stir refreshes my soul. Sometimes we need to go on a walk or take a nap or go on a hike or something like that. We need to find life-giving friends. The kind of friends that know you. When they look in your eyes, you don't have to say a thing. Sometimes we have those friends. And when they look at us, they go, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. Those kind of friends. Be gracious to yourself and lean into God. I want to read this to us, and this is God's promise to us. It's the words of Jesus. It's a very familiar passage to us, but I want you to close your eyes and I want to read this over you. And I want it to go deep in your heart today. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Come to me, I will refresh your life. For I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you will discover that I am gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me. For all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear Jesus forgive us for not honoring the Sabbath give us the courage to do so fill our hearts restore our souls renew our minds strengthen our bodies our hearts, our minds, our spirits in Jesus name would you just stand with me Pastors Jeremy and Alvy are going to just sing a song, lead us in a song today. So would you do this? Would you lift your hands this way, this way, however you want to, whatever's going to allow you to hold them the longest. And when we're doing, we're just saying, God, I surrender my ways and I receive your way. Thank you for the blessing of the Sabbath. Thank you that it's holy, that it's set apart, and that When I honor it, God, you do something special and supernatural in my life. Let's lean into him. Let's lean into him.